Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. start, can I ask you to join me in prayer? Father God, we are here and we we thank you that you've joined us today. We know we stand on your word that says where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst. So Father, we thank you for joining us. We thank you for what you've already done in the service. We offer our worship to you and we offer our ears and our hearts to hear and grasp what your holy word has for us to hear today. And Father, we ask that you empower us to walk accordingly within the spirit that you've placed in us that brings you glory and honor. So Lord, we thank you for joining us. We welcome you here and we ask you, Lord, to be with us the rest of the service. I ask you this in the precious name of Jesus and let the church say, amen. So we've been studying Ephesians and as those who are a part of Mosaic already know, we've been doing the whole book of Ephesians, and today I'm going to talk about Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. And since it was already read earlier in the service, I'm basically going to start and dive into this with what the Lord has placed on my heart. So those first three chapters of Ephesians teaches us the basics of Christian faith, and they covered spiritual blessings and how we have been bought by the blood of Christ, through the death and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how we are one in him. Thank God, by the adoption of Christ, in Christ, we can now participate in the promises and the blessings and the right standing that God made with Abraham and his agreement and promise. We can take part in that because we are one in him and one with each other. In chapter 4, it gives us a vision of what it means to be the church. Now that we are his body and we know he's coming back for the church, the Bible calls us his bride. So the bridegroom is coming for his bride, and we are his children and his church because we belong to him. So chapter 4 also teaches us that we are to always be maturing, and that word be maturing means it's a process. It's an ongoing event that brings us deeper and closer to God through the word. Ephesians 4 tells us we are to become strong and healthy and mature. So what does that mean? Well, in Ephesians 4, Paul gives us three principles that help guide us. And the first principle is truth. The second one is love. And the third principle is growth. So let's talk about the first principle for a few moments. The first principle was truth. I found a quote from a pastor, John Piper, to be helpful. The word of God is what the spirit of God uses to grow strong, stable, healthy Christians who are committed in the faith. God's spirit uses God's word to grow us into stable, healthy, committed Christians. And we need to read the Bible together in order to grow in God's truth. But this is not that common or easy, is it? 
Some studies that were done, one of those being in 2013 by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, sponsored a study that studied 4,474 people, compared to our numbers in Canada, that's not a lot, but it showed that only 14% of those people read the Bible at least once a month. And I'll tell you, when I read that, it kind of floored me, because that's like eating once a meal once a day, less than that, once a month. And we don't even eat our meals once a day. So imagine reading the Word of God, our daily bread, once a month. It floored me. That figure was down 28% from 1996. The survey in the United States in 2021 found that 11% of Americans read their Bible daily. Another Christian fact in that study showed that there were three factors in common with those who did participate in, with meaningful Bible engagement. Not only did it seem that all three were common among those who, with flourishing and meaningful Bible engagement, but interestingly, that all three must be done intentionally, on purpose, making a point of doing it. The first one was community. This is a community. Some of it is online, some of it is here, some of it's in other parts of Ontario, across Canada and across the world, community. The community that was, that was uh, studied said they were involved in the worshiping community within the church that they go to regularly and participated in church community. So gatherings together, whether it's for fellowship, whether it's to hear the word, whether it's to praise and worship, but gathering together. The second one was conversation. They discuss and explore the Bible with their friends. They're having conversations about the Bible, often in small groups. And the third was confidence. They have a growing confidence in the Bible as the way to know God and hear from him. So you may see how the first two, community and conversation, is done intentionally. You make a point of going to church. You make a point of having Bible studies with friends and groups. You make a point of doing it. But the third one, the third one about growing in confidence. So let me share with you how I saw growing in confidence. As we gain a deeper understanding of who God is, we take ownership. We make a deliberate decision, conscious action of our walk and our relationship with our Father. And the more we know him, the deeper our walk, the stronger our relationship, and the more our confidence grows in him and in his word. So all three of these scenarios are in the groups who we're studying together. Community, conversation, and confidence. So let me get practical for a moment about how we read the Bible. As we prepare our hearts to be open to the truth, that truth is the word of God, let us first do these things. Let's get still. Put aside what you're doing. Focus our mind on what it is we're about to do. Get still. Make a point of getting still. And then we quiet our thoughts. Now's not the time to be thinking about what am I fixing for dinner? Where's my husband at these times? What's my kids doing? What have I got planned for tomorrow? That's not the time. We quiet our thoughts. We make time for it. For me, that was the hardest because Canadian life is a busy life. If you're a working mom, you've got two jobs. You're working seven days a week, five days a week, whatever you're doing, but then you're coming home and working seven days a week. 
If you are a student, you are in school five days a week, and if you're lucky, you're doing homework on your days off and weeknights. If you're a father, you're working outside the home, you're establishing your job and your profession, and you are contributing to the family and to the home. It's a lot of things on our table. But yet we need to make time, time that is dedicated to getting deeper in his word, being led by the Holy Spirit to reveal who God is to us. Make time for. We make time for our friends. Why would we not make time for the one person who means the most to us, at least that's what we declare, our Father and Savior? Make time. Set aside our own agenda. We don't have an agenda that says, I'm going to just debate whether or not this is right. I want to have this conversation with others so I can show how much I know. That's our agenda. Set aside our own agenda. We settle our minds to hear what it is the Holy Spirit has for us while we are studying and reading his word. We get familiar with the word of God. You know, the Bible says to be not just hearers, but to be doers also. So we get familiar with the word of God. Second Timothy, Paul writes, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got a lot of students here. We've got a lot of people who've gone through school, higher learning, higher education. You studied to learn what you needed to learn for what you wanted to do. But how much more, if we have all that time and energy and effort to learn something that benefits us as we grow in our own profession, if God is the first person that's most important to us, how much more should we be dedicating to study his word Know it, because that's our weapon against what happens with us, against the enemy, when he's darting at us, when life trips us, when we're dealing with our human self. It is the word of God and our understanding of what it is and who he is to us and in us that empowers us. So Paul writes, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. Do you know what comes to mind when I think of rightly dividing? I am discussing it. I am having group conversations with other people because sometimes the Holy Spirit's walking you is stronger than mine and you may have something that's an enlightenment for me and vice versa. I may not have a clear understanding of what that scripture means. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And God's Holy Spirit is what empowers us to rightly divide the word of truth. And Proverbs has always been one of my favorite books. You know, I, I really love the fact that Solomon was considered the most wisest man that ever was and will never be another one like him. So I took a lot of pleasure and joy in reading Proverbs. And so there's a couple of quotes in here from Proverbs. And the first one is, with all thy getting, get understanding. And another way to put that is, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit. It is God's word, and he will open up our eyes and our hearts if we ask him. Another Proverbs, apply your mind to my knowledge, for it is pleasant. Another Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it leads to death. Do you know why that's important to know? Because if we read the Bible in our own human understanding, within our own human thoughts, we are not going to grasp what it is the Holy Spirit has. Because his word also says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
So we have to adjust to believing that God is going to allow himself to speak to us when we invite him to do so. So we are to be grounded in the truth. We are to speak the truth in love. And that truth, the true revelation of what the Holy Spirit has for us to grasp is what is given to us by his presence itself that is within us. But we have to allow ourselves to be open to hear what that Holy Spirit is wanting us to grasp. God's word does tell us, as I said earlier, to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We do it individually. I love doing a Bible study on myself. I just go through the concordance, I pick topics, I, I listen to what the Spirit's telling me to study. It's great. It's a time that God speaks to my spirit and my heart and guides my walk. But it doesn't end with just individually. We do that individually and collectively. Sometimes God's giving you something that I might need and vice versa. And that's the other thing about becoming family. I have family conferences with my kids because they're all grown and my husband all the time. If we do that with God, how much further would we know in his word? Collectively and individually. We ask the Holy Spirit to show us, to open our eyes and our hearts to grasp what he has for us. And this next part is just as important as asking God to show us. He also needs to enable us to walk in him accordingly. Knowing the word is not enough. You know what? The enemy knows it too. Satan knows the word better than we do. I mean, let's face it. He was there when all this started. Satan knows the word of God better than we do. Satan is the one that threw the word of God at Jesus himself while he was being tested. He knows it better than we. So we need to ask the Lord to reveal it, but then enable us to walk in it. You know, what always did amaze me that one of the tools that Jesus used while the enemy was throwing the words that were written in the Bible at him, the word of God, the weapon that Jesus used was the right words of God given by the Holy Spirit. So as we are studying, we are learning to understand the character of Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to develop us, to mold us. As in Romans 2, it tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is the part we sometimes miss, which is your reasonable service. When I hear the word reasonable, sometimes I think that means that's the least I can do. Your reasonable service is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable, the least we can do with the Spirit of God living in us if we profess to know him as Lord and Savior. This is a reasonable service we can do. But it doesn't end there. It also says, and. So living the way we should be is one side of that. The other side of that, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So while we are adjust, we're adjusting our mind and developing the mind of Jesus, because as we've already indicated, his mind is not my mind and his will is not my will, I'm leaving all that on the altar. 
and I am conforming my own mind to, to go after what Christ was about. So I am having and developing within my mind, which is where sin starts. It doesn't come out in an action. Sin starts in your mind first. That thought comes in. So I'm conforming my mind not to this world, not to what this world puts value in, not to what this world thinks is important, not even to what this world thinks is right, because there are laws that, according to the laws of God, are not right. So we are conforming our mind to the mind of Christ. We are renewing, which means it's an ongoing thing. You don't get there until God calls you to glory. So that we are renewing, it's constant. It doesn't stop. At one point in things, you got it, got it right, you got it straight, and the next thing you know, God is revealing something through his presence, through his word, that you've grasped fresh and anew. We are to develop the mind of Christ. As we grow in his word, we grow deeper, we grow stronger, and we get more rooted in him. We are more rooted. So together, we are to do this. Think about when we come together, as a group, Bible study, whatever it is we're discussing after service, or any times that we're talking scriptures with our friends and our neighbors and our church family. Think about how we divide the word of God, the truth in our Bible studies. How much easier is it? And how more refreshing is it when we are able and open to hear different perspectives and agree on the word together? There's enlightenment in that. Sometimes you can read something. I don't know how many times I've read the same scripture over and over and over, and then the Lord will spark something in me that I never saw any other time I've read it. Or I'm having a conversation with somebody about a scripture that maybe we've had it on Sunday. And I'm thinking I can repeat that scripture like that. I understand everything about it. And somebody, the Holy Spirit has stricken, put in their mind about something that I didn't grasp. That's what collectively does. It's great learning to learn on your own. I'd never want to go to a doctor who learned everything by himself on his own and he's the only self-teacher. I would never choose that man for a doctor. Why do we do it with the word of God? Together. We allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us to develop the fruit of the spirit. Notice fruit's not plural. We've got all kinds of trees, but on an apple tree is an apple. On a pear tree is a pear. But we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit consists of all of these things. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One fruit bears all those things, all those characteristics, all of those moral standings of God the Father. I did a conference yesterday, a women's conference, and I learned so much. And I said at the time, you know, I'm speaking tomorrow about what it is to be the church of God. And I, was, I reflected back to the fruit of the Spirit, and then it clicked on me. There are so many attributes that we worship God for. So many. One of the things we worship Him for is because He is a moral God. He's a just God. And He sets a moral standard for us. And yesterday is when it clicked. The fruit of the Spirit is the moral character of God Himself. Jesus Christ himself, that moral character, are those fruit, those areas that we have to develop within our walk and our life. So as our minds are renewed 
and we become that new creation that Corinthians talks about, where he says, anyone is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we submit to Christ as our Lord. Do we know what that means? We say it all the time, Lord, you are Lord of my life. Is he? When you make a decision, do you ask the Father first? He's Lord of our life. He's our Savior. Hallelujah, because Jesus came and died and went back to heaven. I can go before the Father because of Jesus. So the Savior part of that is easy to cling to. But is he the Lord of your life? Because I'll tell you, in all fairness, there's times in my own life I've made my own decisions and I did not go to the Lord that I serve and love and claim and say, Lord, is this what you want of me? Is he the Lord of our life? He is our Savior. We need to use his word to make him Lord of our life. The character of Christ reshapes the way we think. The only way we know his character is by studying his word. We, can, we begin to imitate God, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. You know, I thought of that word, imitators. I have four grandkids. I see myself in every one of my grandkids, and they don't realize they're imitating me, because guess what? I didn't raise them. But I see myself in every one of them. They know me. So I see myself in them. That's what the word's telling us to know. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to understand who God is and what he expects and imitate Christ as we follow him as children of God. We are to imitate God as beloved children and walk in love, even as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Paul continues with Ephesians 5, and he states, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up. Can you imagine the, the king of glory that has every being in heaven, every angel around his throne, worshiping him and praising him and saying hallelujah and holy, holy, holy. Heaven itself bows to Jesus Christ. But this son of God, the second trinity, God the son, come to earth in the form of mankind, lived a sinless life, made God his Lord of his life and his Savior, and followed the will of the Father for us to be reestablished in him, to have a right relationship. So we can't have that relationship in our own minds and in our own choices and our own thoughts, because that same blood of Christ that made us available to go to him, that possibility is who we need to now initiate and imitate in our walking in our life and in our thought and in our talk and in our actions. Be ye imitators of God. Because Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Imitators of God. And Paul makes a point of saying, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for us. We are his church. And if we are to imitate God, and Christ gave himself for the church, and we are to imitate God, we need to love like Jesus loved. Did you hear what I just said? We need to love like Jesus loved. To love like him, here's what we need to consider. We need to be mindful. 
We need to connect more deeply with our lives and the people that are in them. We need to not be detached or disconnect from existence from one another. We need to be a part of it. When you hurt, I should hurt. When I hurt, you should hurt. When you rejoice, I should be rejoicing with you. When I'm rejoicing, you should be rejoicing with me. When I fall, instead of coming down and knocking me back down, pick me back up. Because if I'm right with God, I'm going to be doing the same thing with you. Connecting more deeply and letting the love of God be expressed and displayed by our actions, our words, and our thoughts. Rather than living detached and disconnected. They always said, no man is an island. I got news for you. There's not going to be an island in heaven. We're all going to be together. But this is the, the stamping ground. This is a ground where we learn how to live the way we're going to live up there. So we cannot be detached and be calling ourselves children of God, the bride of Christ. We need to be approachable. What does it mean to be approachable? Jesus had the reputation of being kind. What is our reputation? I can tell you right now, everybody knows how giving Donna is. Everybody knows it. Because that's her actions have caused that reputation. What does it mean to be approachable? Jesus was so kind in that when he spoke, when he taught, he was different from everybody else who ever spoke, who ever taught. He stood out. Do we stand out? If the world is looking at the church, what are they seeing? We're his church. We're his reflection. We are supposed to be the ones who are imitating God by living as Jesus lived. So if the world's looking in on our church, what are they seeing? We are to be approachable. When people heard who, how Jesus spoke and how different he was, how he performed miracles and he healed people through the Holy Spirit, all these things that were done by him were done in loving kindness through and by the Holy Spirit. And we're to imitate him. We're to be full of grace. We are to relate to one another non-judgmental. And I know how hard that is. Especially, you know what? You know, I told you before, I'm 66 years old. I've made more mistakes during these 66 years than I guarantee most of you in these young years have ever done. But you will. You will make some of these mistakes. And until Jesus calls me home or comes back for me, I'll continue to make mistakes. But that's what's so great about the love of God. He continually forgives me if I just ask. So we need to be full of grace because there's an old saying I grew up with that said, therefore, but by the grace of God go I. The grace, full of grace. We are to be bold. So bold that we shed the fears of being hurt or rejected. So what am I talking about? If we are God's imitators, and Jesus preached, walked, talked, and loved the love of God, and we're to imitate him. We are to do that in boldness because we are his representative. Paul tells us we are his ambassadors. We are to be bold in talking about who he is. We are to be bold in expressing our love for him. And I'll tell you another secret. You need to be bold about your walk with God. There is no shame in letting those who know you who call you friend and family, I've decided to walk with Jesus. I don't do this, I don't do that, not because I'm better than you, because I've put the grace of God, there go I, but because I have a higher demand on my life for being saved by God's grace 
that says, I need to be bold to come before the throne in humility and in speaking the truth that he has expressed in my heart and in my life. Be bold. We are to be self-giving. Nobody gave more than Jesus. Absolutely nobody. And nobody here is Jesus. As much as I love him, as much as he lives in me, I am not him. But I am his ambassador. I am his example. I am his reflection. So when you see me, you should be seeing Jesus. And if you don't see Jesus, please come to me and say, you know what, I don't see Jesus in you at that moment. Because him and I will have that talk. We are his reflection. So we need to be self-giving. And to be self-giving, it means you are not so absorbed about yourself. You're not self-absorbed. That's a fact of those before we knew him. But when we come to him, just as he invested in people, just as he looked for opportunities to be a blessing to people through teaching, through miracles, through all the wonderful gifts and things that Jesus Christ did while walking on this earth, we too are to be self-giving. We are to be invested in people invested in our church family, invested in our North, our family, a blood family, in my case, both blood and adoption, invested in our friends, invested in those who don't know Jesus. We are to be self-giving. The third principle of the biblical vision of the church is growth. Growth. Sometimes we think of growth as in numbers. I've been in big churches and I've been in small churches and I've been in smaller churches. So sometimes we think of growth in the manner of numbers, but that's not how the scripture sees growth. Scripture, when it comes to growth in numbers, it says God gave. But when the Bible talks about growth for us, he's talking about in terms of maturity. Ephesians 4, the whole existence of my message today, he says he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and this is what's for for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And this is why. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and this is the why, to a mature man and woman. The Bible does talk about those who are babes in Christ, tossed here and there, not knowing what they believe, easily persuaded, and it's not gospel done, tripped, slipped, told wrong, taught wrong. Because until you find how to grow in him, we are all susceptible to all of that. Until you learn how the tools can be used for us to mature in him, you don't have the tools to rightly divide the word of truth. So we are to mature Paul also writes about the ending of that, of that verse says, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man and woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Do you know when I saw the fullness of Christ, what it reminds me of? The fruit of the Spirit. That's the fullness of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. Our lives are to express that. Our walk, as far as maturity goes, should be expressed by that. 
the fruit of the Spirit. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Do you know there are so many denominations and they're all different? There are similarities in all of them, but each of them have their little bit of this and a little bit of that or none of this or none of that. That's not ever what God intended for any of us. That's all man's doing because they couldn't agree. Somebody thinks this, some denomination thinks this. There's one Bible and there's one Holy Spirit. And what he wants from us is to study his word to become equipped, to grow in the truth of what his word is, which is revealed by his Holy Spirit directly so that we're not tossed here and there and running to find where's the right doctrine. We're not tricked by men, sweet words. I remember growing up, there used to be faith healers that come on TV. And if you're really checked into them, a lot of that was pre-staged. You can't tell because you're watching it on TV. I know a famous miracle guy, still alive, that my children went to see maybe 15, 20 years ago. And they come back to me and said, Mom, that man is so phony, it is not funny. Children because they refuse to be tricked by trickery, which you can't see, things behind the scene, deceit, schemes. But the scripture says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, that's us, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, not separate, not individual, held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. That's the individual part of us. But we're together in that individual part. Paul talks about the arm can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Or the arm can't say to the leg, I don't need you. Or the ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. We all have our own part, but all that part is the wholeness of God. So we are to be fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. I need you and you need me. This causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself as the body of believers. So let me put that in there. This causes the growth of the body of believers for the building up of love itself. We are to be strong, healthy, immature. So did you grasp the vision for the church that the scripture of Ephesians talks about? That we are to grow from babes in Christ to mature adults in Christ. We are to walk alongside the babes in Christ so they mature to walk along new babes in Christ. We are to move within the gifts given by the Holy Spirit to each of us to build us all up. I grow by your gifts and you should be growing by mine because that's what the Holy Spirit intended for it to do. So that we are all built up into the maturity in Christ. We are to grow from receiving milk to food that we need to chew on. Have you ever had a scripture that you've really had to chew on that thing because it's like, Lord, what are you trying to say to me in this? And other scriptures, it's so easy and plain to grasp. Because that's the determination of where you've matured and how much you've grown. Sometimes there's food in his word we need to chew on. And sometimes chewing it and don't come easy. It's like a tough piece of steak. 
you got to chew on it. And you got to go back to the Father and say, God, I don't get what you're selling in this. I don't understand what it is you want me to see. You need to chew some more, but then go back to the Father. Reveal yourself in this, Lord. This is a tough piece of beef. <laughs> Reveal yourself. We need to chew. So how do we bring all this together? Maturity is a reality of our walk with God as we move continually in the love and the truth realm. When you move in love and truth and you mature in Christ, it is an action that develops. As we study his word, the word equips us to be able to know through the Holy Spirit what is true and what is not of God. We can defend the faith, we can bring good news to the, of the gospel. We live a life that is pleasing to God. As we submit to Christ's lordship over our lives, our decisions, our thoughts, our walk, the word of God through the Holy Spirit brings it to life in us. It is work, family. It is work on our part. It isn't just a matter of reading it. We have to apply it. It's a choice. We are no longer babes in Christ. We're able to chew the meat of the word. We continue to mature. It's a process. I am more mature now than I was a year ago. I am deeper and stronger now than I was six months ago. My goal, by the grace of God, in another year, I'll be more mature and more deeper in his word and in his love than I, was, than I am now because it's a process. And the only time it ends is either when Jesus comes back or you go to him. It's a process. So we chew on the meat of God when you mature. We continue. It's a process. It's a journey that every member of the family of God is expected to take. Remember the story of Abel and Cain? One killed the other. And the first thing he says to God when God heard God in the garden is when he was walking was, am I my brother's keeper? Let me tell you, yes, you are. We are our brother and sister's keepers. We are. The truth and the love lead to practical work. And the payoff of the work is seeing other people, the whole family of God, become more mature in Christ. Imagine, if you will, when the weaker ones get more mature and start bringing along the weaker ones that are new to the faith, how different it will be in the teaching that the pastor is able to give. Don't you just long sometimes for that word to just be a little more harder for me to choose so that I got to study a little more and ask the Father to reveal it a little better because I'm not grasping it because it's no longer milk, it's meat. That's what those three principles lead us to, the truth, the love. It leads us to maturity and coming up in a church where everybody is growing. So you do see the new babes being nurtured and guided by the older in Christ. That's God's design. John 1 tells us, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, it's funny, I always, I always thought of myself as a decent parent. I'll be honest, I made my mistakes. But one of the things I did as I was raising our children was 
when I went back to work and my job didn't get me home to six o'clock, and guess what? School's done by 3.30, as it was then. My husband worked, I worked. My oldest daughter got the one to be elected to look after her siblings until I got home. But here's what happened with that. In the areas that I would have been slack, and not necessarily the best decisions made on my part, she matured in. She, all, she made her own mistakes, but she didn't make mine. Because that's what we do when we mature. I make my own mistakes, but I won't make my mother's mistakes. And I learn from mine. So my daughter got to mature in areas that had I not done that, she would not have either. So that's one of the things that I look about in how we develop others by letting them take on some responsibility and then teaching and guiding in the process. The other thing I remembered so deeply, and I heard somebody say that somebody else got a job in a bank, and I was so thrilled because that's the one job I loved. I worked for Canada Trust, and I was there almost eight years. And you know what? I, just because you think of me as bold here, I got news for you, sweetheart. When I am offering something that I truly believe in, I am so bold. I was always top three in sales. I met every target, every time, every time. I taught, I coached, I trained, I encouraged everything that a supervisor would have done. And they were glad to let me do it because you know what? They knew what I was capable of doing. And I believed in the product and that's the benefit of anything you do. If you believe in something, you're gonna do your best. I believed in the product. But there was a point in time when TD was taken over and I wanted out of where I was at to what I thought was a more stable. And while I knew how good I was, while I knew that people I had trained and brought up under me to reach what I had reached and be recognized in the same manner in which I was recognized, I let pride slip in because at some point my maturity level did not go to the point where I looked at the needs of the company. When I wanted to get into a branch and leave where I was at and couldn't get there, I thought, you know what, I think I'm a little better than what they're not letting me do because I think I would do really well in a branch and I went to another bank. And then they called and said, we've got a spot we'd like to offer you. But because mature level had not reached where it needed to reach, I told them no and I went to the other branch. And it was an important lesson for me to learn. Number one, I did not go to the father and say, what do you want me to do here, Lord? I claimed he was Lord of my life even back then. But I didn't go to the father and say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And what did get in was pride. Was pride. So when I reflect back on that decision, I stayed with that bank eight years. The bank I went to, I was there one. I wasn't happy. The environment was lousy. I didn't know the products because it was a different kind of bank. I was happy where I was. But the maturity that I needed to make the right decision I wasn't at. I wasn't at. And I did that in my natural life, in my natural realm, everyday living. But it was a spiritual lesson to always, number one, go to the Father. And number two, aim to be mature in the decisions after guidance from the Father before any decisions you make. It's a lesson I learned but my decision to leave that bank was one I've lived to the rest of my life. I still resent it, the decision I made, regret the decision I made. Because some decisions can't be undone. That one could never be undone. 
So if we're doing that to our natural life, this side of heaven, how much more, how much more is it important to grow in Christ, to grow in his word, to grasp what he is to us, who he is to us, and what he wants from us? Because this life is temporary. How much more? We need each other, church. We need each other to grow in him. We need each other to learn and grow deeper in his word. We need each other for the gifts that God has given you and I to build up this body. We need each other. And we need each other to grow into maturity. Because that's the one thing that never stops. I know more now than I did a year ago. I pray to God I know more a year from now than I do now because I continue to mature. We need each other. We did a lot of singing tonight, and I, I put one thing that really hit me when I was putting these notes together. And that song was Refiner's Fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. And the next word was a consecration word. Set apart for you, Lord. Do we really know what we're asking for? Yes, we're asking the Lord to be set apart for him, but we're also asking the Lord to set us apart from the world. That the mind be in you that was in Christ. Be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Develop the mind of Jesus in us. Set apart. I choose to be. It's a choice that we make. You either choose to do what God expects us to do or you choose not to and bear the consequences of God when you don't. It's a choice. We choose to let him be our master. I said earlier, we always sing he's our Lord and he's our savior. He's our savior because we didn't have to do it. He did it. We just accepted it. But the decision for him to be Lord of our life, Lord of our life, Jesus makes it perfectly clear in his scriptures where he says, you are a slave to something. Either you're going to be a slave to the enemy or a slave to God. With all of the riches and the beauty and his love and his blessing and his mercy and his favor, all the gifts and the blessings bestowed on his children, I'd rather be a slave to God any day. Because we're a slave to one or the other. Either you're going to do what you're going to do according to the world's standards or you're going to live according to God's standards. We're a slave to something. Will you pray with me as I close this out? So Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful for your word. We ask you, Lord, to instill within our spirit to walk and live and learn what you have for us. To open our spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see and hear what you want us to see and hear. But more so, Father, empower us to live the way you want us to live. We continue to ask you, Father, to be with us the rest of this service and throughout the week. Be with us, Father, and to be a blessing through our lives and be glorified through us. And we ask you this in the name of Jesus. You have been listening to a sermon podcast from Mosaic Intercultural Church in London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I want to thank you for joining us. 
If you want to find out more about Mosaic and about the work that we do, please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. Thank you.